So one of the things that you wonder when you're a youth pastor is, when is it time for me to get out of this thing? And uh, when I knew that it was time for me to get out of the youth ministry was, I had this great idea one time. I said, Sarah, I think this Sunday, we would do youth on Sunday nights. I think this Sunday, I'm going to have all the high schoolers do a dramatic reading of scripture. Doesn't that sound like fun? And she's like, I think it may be time for you to hang this up. Uh, so no dramatic readings of scripture today, uh, but maybe something to look forward to. Okay, I have one thing before we get going. There's going to be a QR code on the screen. And if you were not here last week, I would invite you to jump on that QR code, uh, scan a picture of it on your phone. It'll take you to a survey. And this is our second week of this uh, this new ser- series that we're doing in the Lord's Prayer. And so the question being, why is prayer so hard? And how does the Lord's Prayer help us in the difficulty of prayer? So one of the ways that you can be helpful as we preach through this is I don't want to just be answering questions that you don't have. So this survey is an opportunity to say, these are the real issues that I have with prayer. These are the real difficulties that I face when I go and spend time with the Lord in the quiet and try to talk to him. Most of you have already done this. Here's, as of last week, here are the top three responses of why prayer is difficult. One, life is busy, slash I don't have time. Two, prayer doesn't seem effective, doesn't seem to do anything. Three, I don't know what to say. And a fourth that I would add for this week particularly, there is, you'll notice if you took this last week or if you're taking it right now, there's an other section. In the other section, <clears throat> almost half of those responses had something to do with in the realm of, I get so distracted. Like when I stop and I'm quiet and I'm trying to talk to the Lord who I can't see and I'm trying to sort of get all my thoughts in line that very quickly my mind starts just firing all over the place. Because this whole series is really the question of, I I desire to have a better prayer life, personally. And I imagine that collectively we would say, and if these survey responses say anything, we have a great desire to pray, but very little ability. A Barna study recently found that three out of five Americans say that they pray at least once a week. And so hopefully we're, we're trying to answer a question with scripture that is actually out there. That there is this question of how do I pray? What does that look like? And thankfully, we're not the only people to have ever asked that question. In fact, the disciples who were already following Jesus, who had already begun the activity of attempting to live their life in line with their master, their Lord, their savior, this Jesus, they were the ones asking the question, So I'm trying to follow you, Jesus, and I know that prayer is kind of part of what we're supposed to do and sort of this interaction between me and God. I'm having a hard time with it. And so they ask the question, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is Jesus' response. So let's read. We're going to read the entire Lord's Prayer every week. uh, And then we're also going to supplement with some other scriptures that will help to give some particular credence to what it is, the question that we're trying to answer. And again, the question we're trying to answer today is why pray I get so distracted? So first, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. 
pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then jump back to Psalm 138. The line that we're focusing on is this hallowed be your name line. Psalm 138 gives us a little glimpse into how exactly that hallowing process happens. This is a Psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things, your name and your word. On the day that I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. So Father, I pray that these words now uh, would penetrate our hearts, that they would be life and breath and everything we need. They would be uh, food for us to eat. Uh, They would be sweet on our tongues as we say them and as we hear them. Uh, and that they would be life to us. Teach us to pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallowed be your name. Many of us have heard this uh, this phrase maybe for a long time. I think it's easy to think we know what this is saying, but it's also helpful as we go through each one of these lines of this petition uh, is to say, what is this line actually saying to me about how I should pray? What does that mean as I pause, as I sit down, that I'm actually calling to mind because of this? The word hallowed just means holy, reverent, awe-inspiring, praiseworthy. And so for God's name to be hallowed, it feels a little confusing that Jesus would say, pray then like this. God, hallow your name. Because isn't God's name already hallowed? Psalm 138 that we just read said, God, your name is already great. Your name, every part of you, your character, your beauty, your glory is already out there. You created the world. You made this whole thing. You create and sustain it. So then why do we need to pray that God would hallow or make his name holy? Hallowed be your name is not a command for God's sake, but it's a command for our sake. Because though God's name is for sure, though God himself is high and holy and lifted up and beautiful and glorious and amazing and wonderful, how often do our hearts reflect that truth? How often do our hearts sing, God, you are amazing and wonderful and holy and beautiful and glorious? On the contrary, how often do our hearts forget that? How often do we live our lives like those things are not true? How often do we live our lives not in the reality that God's even in the picture? That's what this prayer, this petition in the Lord's Prayer is calling us into. God, help me to see, help us to see that you really are as big and wonderful and glorious as you say you are. Help me to live in the reality of what actually is and not in my little headspace that I get so focused in on. 
And so it would make sense. Prayer is distracting by nature because when you and I go to stop and pause, we are doing something that we do not do very often. How often do you slow down in your day and try to clear your mind and focus on one thing and one thing only? It would make sense then that as you go to slow yourself down, that what is firing in you is all of those things that you're concerned about, all of those things that are on your heart and your mind, all of those things that you're looking at the day ahead and going, oh no, or all the things that you're looking back on the day that you just had and saying, oh gosh. Lord, teach us to pray. Help me to capture my wandering, wayward heart and focus it on you. Would your name be hallowed? That's what this petition is talking about. So, Hallowing God's name then helps our distracted prayers in three ways. First, worship focuses, focuses us on God. Second, worship turns us away from self. Third, worship turns our distractions into enjoyment. So worship focuses us on him, it turns us away from us, and it turns all of those things that may distract us into the very means by which we can actually meet with him. So, let's take those three things in turn. First, worship focuses us on God. What, what's your favorite kind of worship service? Do you love when it's a full band up here and there's tons going on? Do you love when it's more contemplative and low-key? Do you love when it's blended and there's a little bit of both? Do you like traditional hymns? Do you like contemporary rock band stuff? I prefer a Georgia football game. Amen. You got the pregame tailgate. You got the dog walk when all the players come into the stadium. You got the red coat band. Everything is so praiseworthy. You got the national championship stepping onto the field. I have no problem raising my hands in praise. Maybe that's not your thing. That's okay. But... What about you? Maybe it's when Garth came to town recently and there was something to you that was standing outside the fire. Like it's so easy for you to praise at the Garth Brooks concert. Or have you been to Lachlan Table? Gah. I praised some things while I was there. Uh, or maybe it's your favorite movie just came out and you get to see it in the theaters on opening day. Whatever that is inside of you, whether it's a sunset or a good meal or a great show, there's something inside each one of us that loves to praise, that loves to, to see and be a caught up in something that is bigger than ourselves and just to say yes and to bask in the glory of that. Praise is not difficult. Worship is not difficult. We do it all of the time. Why is that? Have you ever wondered why that's so easy? And why naturally you find your heart just being pulled in all kinds of directions to all of these things that is, it is seeing as praiseworthy. Jesus has just taught us in the first petition, our Father in heaven, that God is a God who is not just this obscure being in the clouds, but he is our Father. And he's our father in heaven, meaning he cares about you 
And he has power to do something with that care that he has over you. Uh, Jesus says in, in other places that we have a father who, when you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a rock. Or you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to the kids that he loves. And so food and drink and sunsets and the beach and music and sporting events, all of these things are glories from him. They're not these sort of, these worldly distractions from that godly grandeur. Those are the very things that he says, I love you so much, I'm going to create this amazing world for you to go and play and create and enjoy. Go for it. His love for you is fulfilled as you enjoy all of those things. We are made for praise. And you can find it all around you. But the question that each one of these things that we find praiseworthy in and of ourselves begs in us is if these things are fill in the blank about why they are praiseworthy, then how much more is God? Because many times we'll come up to that praiseworthy thing and that'll be the end instead of the means by which we see the glory and grandeur and beauty of God. And so if that sunset that you're about to enjoy on your beach vacation in a few weeks is so beautiful, then think about the God who thought that up. If that meal at Lachlan Table or wherever is so satisfying, how much more is the God who says that I only do the will of my Father when Jesus says everything that I need to be satisfied is just in enjoying God himself? How much more satisfying is he than this meal? If that comedian or that show is so engaging and fun and pleasurable and hilarious and joyful, then how much more is the God who made all of those things? Everything that you and I joy is an opportunity to praise the God who made it instead of being distracted by it. So worship turns us naturally, has the ability and the capability to turn us towards this God. Why does it not normally do that? Romans 1 says this. Worship not only turns us towards God, it turns us away from ourselves because here is where each one of us are born into this world worshiping. We are born worshipers, but this is what we do. For his invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all the things that have been made. So everything we just said, you can see the glory of God because there's so many glorious things in the world. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God, but they became futile in their thinking. And they became foolish in their hearts and they were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We have taken all of the things that we love to praise and we have turned those into the God that we praise instead of being the means by which we see the glorious God who we praise. 
And so the reason why we naturally, when we slow down, we are so distracted by all of our thoughts as we try to pray is because our hearts are distracted. Because this is all happening, Romans 1 is happening inside of our hearts all the time. We're being pulled all over the place by all these desires. I desire to be protected. I desire to be approved of. I desire to be loved. I desire to be cared for. I desire to to make sure I have enough food on the table tonight. I desire to have a healthy relationship with those who are closest to me. Whatever those things are, those desires are always pulling at your heartstrings all the time. And so when you slow down and begin to recognize and feel those things inside, those are the very opportunities where you can be curious to say, what is my heart being drawn to right now? What, what am I being pulled towards right now? And is that, what about that could draw me into the presence of God? But in what ways might this be crushing me right now? Like what Janie mentioned at the beginning of the service. Because relationships are wonderful until each person in the relationship views the other one as the ultimate And then our hearts turn on themselves and that relationship that could be this beautiful thing begins to be toxic. Food is wonderful until we use it to cope with all the difficulties of our life. And then the thing that was meant to bring glory to God and enjoyment to our bodies now turns on our body and becomes unhealthy, potentially even killing us. Work is wonderful until you look at your work for everything that you need to fulfill yourself and your meaning and your purpose and your approval and your attaboys. And at that point, when it becomes everything you need to feel good about yourself, it has turned on you. And you have actually become a slave to it instead of it being a glory that you are allowed to work in the created order in which you were made. This Augustine quote that you may have heard before finds perfect application here. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Where do you find yourself restless right now? What is your heart being pulled towards that you're longing for that thing to be the thing that will satisfy you? that thing to be the thing that will give you the worth and the value and the satisfaction and the security and the safety that you are so longing for in your heart? What is it right now that you may be hallowing and lifting up above all other things that is beginning to turn on you? The Lord's Prayer then is a call back to my heart to praise the Lord. Like the psalmist says, we can talk to our hearts in prayer. Heart, why are you so downcast? What is wrong with you? Hope in God, heart. Hope in God, Jeremy. Hope in God, self. And those very places where you find yourself distracted as you pray might be the very windows that you can bring those things instead of letting those turn yourself inward. Those can be the very things that can propel you into the arms of of a God who cares and is powerful enough to do something about it. So, worship turns us towards God, turns us away from ourselves, and finally, worship turns our distraction into enjoyment. You familiar with the book slash movie Into the Wild? 
So it was, a, it was a 1996 book by John Krakauer. It was a 2000 movie directed by both John and Sean Penn. And it's the true story of this guy, Christopher McCandless. So he's a recent graduate from Emory University. He's kind of grown disenchanted and disenfranchised with sort of the like materialism of the world. And so he goes full on hippie. And he renounces all his possessions. He gives everything away to charity. And he hitchhikes across the U.S. And he has all these trials and travails as he's traveling uh, from the southeastern United States all the way, ultimately, to Alaska. He finally sets up shop outside of Denali National Park and finds this little bus that's been out of commission sitting in the woods. He names it the Magic Bus and then proceeds to live there. One of the things you find out about him along the way through the book and through the movie, and this is a, based on a true story, is that he's very ill-prepared for the realities of a life of survival. But he's so wooed, his heart is so pulled in this direction to freedom from material and freedom from other people, to be who he wants to be and to be free from all obligations that it drives him into the wilderness. And for four months, he's in this bus. He's surviving on his own. He has some amount of success. He has a lot of disappointment. Uh, he has a 22 rifle, and, and that's primarily his source of food in addition to other uh, plants that he finds that he can eat along the way. But he shoots a moose, and then he realizes he doesn't have a refrigerator, and so all of that meat goes bad very quickly. There's just all sorts of failures that happen in this guy's life. He finally, in a sense, kind of comes to himself. He, he comes to his senses, and he kind of wakes up to the reality that I think maybe everything I was looking for, I already had. He's journaling to himself. And he journals this. Happiness is only real when shared. I had everything that I needed. I had the people in my life. I had the family structure. I had the, the means by which to find my happiness. And I chose to walk away from that. And I've now secluded myself in this bus in the middle of Denali National Forest. I got to get back. And so he leaves the bus. He leaves his stuff. He goes and tries to exit the same way that he had entered. And what he finds is that this giant river had now begun to overflow its banks and it was impossible for him to cross it again. Dejected, he walks back towards the bus. Hungry, fallen, sad, and in his sort of cloud uh, of confusion, he is hungry and he chooses to eat a plant that he doesn't realize is actually poisonous. He realizes what he has done. He lies down as he begins to feel sick inside the bus and slowly dies. This is a picture of what each one of us outside of the grace of Jesus intersecting our lives is like. We are drawn to things that ultimately will kill us because they can't stand the weight of the glory that only God can. 
And so wherever you might find yourself today, whatever you might find yourself being drawn into other than ultimately God to be your protector, your provider, your safety, your security, your approval, your love, every one of those things eventually will buckle under the weight. Every one of those things ultimately will fail you. And naturally, without God's name being hallowed inside of us, this is what each of us in metaphorical form will experience internally inside. Hallowed be your name is a call for the reality of God to be woken up inside of us. But here's the crazy thing about it. You and I can't get that deep inside enough our hearts on our own. The, we continue, if we try every day and talk to our hearts, heart, wake up, heart, wake up. God is real. God's alive. He's my security. He's my safety. He's my ability. He's my approval. In and of ourselves, we will not be able to affect any kind of change in here because that Romans 1 thing happened, because we've walked away, because we've said, God, thanks. I love your stuff and I don't like you very much. And so there has to be an intersection. There has to be something that God does to intersect this reality because without it, we will find ourselves alone in the woods. Look at Psalm 138. Verse two says this. I bow down towards the holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Now look at the pronoun. For I have exalted you above all things. No, who's done the exalting? Lord, you have exalted all things to your name and your word. God has already exalted himself. And he has done that in human form. He has done the very thing that the Lord's Prayer says you and I should do. Exalt his name, glorify his name, lift up his name. The person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has already come on the scene and has already done that. This Jesus lived hallowing, lifting up God's name his entire life, saying, I love to do what my Father tells me to do enjoying living in perfect satisfaction for all of his 33 years, only having very little, but having the relationship with his father. And then this Romans 1 thing about though that is what is happening inside of us, and though that leaves us then without excuse, meaning we all kind of know that God's real, but we haven't treated him like it. So that means we're without excuse in front of him, saying, well, sorry. But the end of the story is not that we are left on our own, but that we have had a savior who has been sent for us. Because this Jesus who lived this perfect life for us did not end there, but he then stood in our place as our substitute. The one who, is, who had all the excuse to say, Father, let this pass from me. Let your wrath fall on them, not on me. And instead, he invited all of that wrath on himself on the cross that you and I deserve. He has exalted his father, even to the point of his own death. Now, making a way for you and I to not have to hallow God's name in order to be made right with him. But we get to be invited into the holiness of who God actually is. And instead of his holiness burning us up in its glory, 
It is a fiery, wonderful, warm welcome into his heart. And then every one of those things that we find as distractions, every one of those places we find our heart naturally pulled to can be the very vessels, the very conduit that we can have this new access and bringing all of ourselves to that God. We don't have to posture. We don't have to be somebody we're not. We can bring all of those distractions in prayer and say, Father, here's all the things I'm distracted about. I'm distracted about this meeting I have tomorrow. I'm distracted about my kids. I'm distracted about my health. I'm distracted about my image. I'm, ex- I'm distracted uh, that I don't feel good about myself right now. I'm distracted by my guilt. I'm distracted by my shame. All of these things that used to keep us away from the heart of God now draws us into the heart of God because of the grace of Jesus. That's the invitation of this second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Would your name be hallowed in my life? Would your name more and more be loud and sit over me and begin to govern my thoughts, govern my decisions, and strengthen me and guide me in all the ways that I need it? So here's how C.S. Lewis describes it. Uh, He has this uh, book called Reflections on the Psalms, and he has a chapter on praise. This is what he says, worshiping God, how those distractions can be turned into enjoyment with God. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but we shall then know what these things are the same thing that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. What are the things that you just naturally enjoy? Going back to that praise machine that is inside all of us, what are the things that you naturally praise? How might those be the very things that can call you into, if this thing is so good, how much better, how much more glorious, how much more amazing, how much more awe-inspiring is our God. So here's what we're going to do. As we conclude today, there's a note card that is either under your chair or on your chair. We're going to create some space right now as Janie finishes out these last few songs to stop and pray this petition. And the way we're gonna do it is by answering this question. What has God done that you can praise him for today? Or what's something in creation that you see pointing to his glory? What's something you love about him and why? And so just take those prompts and write down as much as you can. Again, this is not, the goal of this prayer prompt 
in the Lord's Prayer is not to sort of be a right answer key, that, oh, now I know how to pray so that God will smile on me. No, God smiles on you because of the work of Jesus. And so now under that smile, what are the things that make you smile? And in what ways might that call you to worship him? Uh, And as you do this, and as we spend these last two songs in prayer and praise, I also invite you, uh, as we do every week, if there's anything that you particularly need prayer for, if you're having a hard time on your own hallowing the name of God in your heart, if you're having trouble getting yourself out of your own distraction and your own false loves that are pulling you all over the place, um, there are some folks in the back that would love to pray with you and pray for you to listen uh, and, to, and to care as a, a visible representation of the way the Father cares for you. So I invite you to do that and to spend some time reflecting on these note cards Uh, And I invite you to also take these, put them in your Bible, put them in your journal, put them somewhere where you'll see them on your dashboard. And would that call you this whole week to continue in this type of reflection? Okay.